All right, we are uh, we're continuing our Lost and Found series, so you guys can open up to Luke 15. Don't forget, next Friday is not only our, our Christmas banquet, it's the official Lost and Found Day. Y'all, y'all are making a list. What are you aiming to go find? What are you going to go hunting for? That other sock, that half of a pair that you have just written off. And, and never thought you could ever be reunited. And yet, this is the day. This is a, it's a day of hope to find lost items. How many of you have just a high propensity to lose stuff? How many of you don't know that about yourself and your parents would, would help us be better informed if you were more honest? Um, well, I, I came across this interesting news item It was titled, Man Fakes His Own Death to Propose to Girlfriend. It says, in what has to be one of the the worst proposal gimmicks ever, 30-year-old Alex Bikov of Russia hired a movie director, stuntman, makeup artist, and a scriptwriter to stage a scene in which he dies in a car crash so that he could propose. He said, I wanted her to realize how empty her life would be without me. And how life would have no meaning without me, right? This guy is fairly full of himself. His girlfriend, Irina Kolokov, nice Russian names here, arrived at the scene of the accident and was, of course, devastated. She says, we'd arranged to meet at a certain place, but when I arrived, there were mangled cars everywhere, ambulances, smoke, and carnage, says Irina. That's when I saw Alex covered in blood, lying in the road, and a paramedic told me he was dead. I just broke down in tears. <laughs> it was then that Bikov leapt to his feet and proposed, and Irina accepted. And, and here's, a, here's a picture of the of a lovely couple. Uh, this is uh, Instagram-worthy right there. Uh, how many of you girls would accept a proposal like that? You feel like that? That's the route to your heart. <laughs> Once again, Maverick, you do not disappoint tonight, so I can always expect to hear from you on those. Uh, You know, people will go to some pretty extreme measures to find love. You know, love is just a a huge item in our culture, in in kind of our imagination, Um, and, and this is obviously a pretty crazy illustration of that. Uh, you know, there, there's something about just living in a fallen world that can make that a little warped and, and weird. But in, in some ways, this, this reflects the character of God. In, in some ways, this, this images what God is like. This is uh, captured in a title of, of a book that Francis Chan had come out with years ago, and he, and he called it uh, Crazy Love. It's right here. Overwhelmed by a relentless God. I think about that crazy love. Overwhelmed by a relentless God. Do, do, do you tend to see God in that way? That there, there is something extravagant. There is something surprising about the fact that he loves us. Or do you kind of wonder, well, why, why wouldn't he love us? I mean, what's not to love, you know? Uh, it, it, has that just become a familiar concept to you because uh, th- th- there's something here, right, in, in this story that, that directs us to see God in this way. We, we, we call the younger son the prodigal son, 
in this story because in, in verse 13 he says he squandered his property in reckless living. And the word prodigal, it means an extravagant spender or having or giving something on a lavish scale. But, but the true prodigal in this story and the one who spends the most and the most important character is the father. There is a prodigal father here. We, we've profiled two sons last time. We talked about that older one and that younger one. Uh, but we're going to look at the father tonight, and we're also going to look at one other character who doesn't really appear in this story, but his, his, his absence, we're supposed to take notice, and we're supposed to question, where is he? So let's read this again. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives and eats with them. Right? So that's the, the context. And then he starts telling these parables. And then skip down to verse 11. He said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So that's that prodigal word. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years... I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Anybody have a young goat on your Christmas uh, wish list for this year? That was top of the list for him. But when this son of yours came, 
who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Father, we, we appreciate this about our Savior, that he, he saw into the human condition. You know how we are wired. You know our frame. You know our places of struggle. Or you know what we've brought with us tonight. You, you know what's going to tempt us to be distracted, to disengage. You know where we want to hide. You know what we need, and you know exactly how to care for us. And so, Lord, we just... We turn to you and we ask you to be with us and we, we invite you to do exactly that. We invite this word Lord, to have the effect that you designed it to have in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what, what should we notice about this father? We're just gonna pick up four things from this story and what, um, what Jesus is wanting to reveal ultimately about God. And the first is that the Father's love initiates, right? Verse 20, he arose, came to his Father, but while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And so he, he starts up the conversation here. He, he sees his son coming from a distance. Well, how is he able to do that? Well, probably because his eyes had been on the road. He is already anticipating this. He, he is already planning for them to be reunited. He, he has purposes in his heart for what that's going to look like, how he's going to draw back his son into the family. And, and he doesn't wait for him to come groveling before him. He doesn't wait for him to rehearse his apology and whatever speech he has prepared. He, he cuts him off, in fact. You know, the son starts saying, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, hire me. You know, may, maybe I can wear, you know, black pants and a white shirt and wait tables or something. And he just cuts him off and he says, there's, there's a party happening tonight. There was something that was already in the heart of the father to be reunited with his son. And, and this is not the way that we tend to do relationships. Where we, we want other people to make the first move. We want them to come to us. We'll, we'll give them our attention. We'll give them our time. If it's, if it's clear they, they've got an interest in us, maybe we're looking for them to affirm something about us. Right? We, we, we don't tend to pursue relationships that are just really one-sided, that, you know, I don't know if you're going to benefit me or not. I don't know if you're just going to be a real drain of my fun and my time, but I'm going to you, right? When was the last time you started up a conversation on that basis? We tend to want something from the other person. And, and, and then, you know, conflict shows up in your friendships. It shows up in your family. It shows up in any time there's another human being on the scene and then shows up in your life. Uh, well, what do you do next? You, you wait but you, you wait for them to realize how they've hurt you. You wait for them to realize 
what kind of offense that was. And, and, and maybe you're ready to forgive and, and, and move on, but they got, they got to send the first text message. You know, certainly seeing them in person, that's just going to get totally avoided in, until they, they come up to you and, and let you know in some way, okay, we can still do this. All right, all right. We can still be seen with each other on Sunday morning or on the school campus, whatever that is. You're, you're, you're trying to read the signals that they're providing as to whether or not you can risk moving forward with them. None of that is in this Father, is it? And the reason why is none of that is in God. God has, God has no reason that he can locate in us for why he should care about us. And, and you just think about, this is a parable. This is representing something. This, this son had essentially told his father, you're, you're dead to me. I, don't, I want your money. I don't want you. So give me what you have now, and I'm going to go out somewhere else that's going to actually serve me in life. And yet he runs to him. Think about this. What, what does it mean to be a Christian? Because, you know, many of us, again, we, this, is a, this is a setting that we, we have grown up in. We've come to church with our our families, and maybe, maybe we just associate that with, you know, we're a Christian family, we're a family that goes to church. Maybe you have categories like, well, you know, my, my, my mom and my dad have always taught me about Jesus. They've always taught me about what he came to do, about how we can be forgiven, that we sin against God. Uh, I've grown up in children's ministry and, and been around places that I've learned these things. Maybe you can identify a point in time when, when it was real for you and you responded, and, and there was just this trust in Jesus, and knowing, I, I, need, I need him, not just generically to be the Savior, I need saving. I've got issues. I've got specific sins that need remedy. But one way or the other, right, that, that's, that's one perspective on life, and it's an important one. But what the Bible does is it, it, it pulls back the veil. It, it gives us kind of the behind-the-scenes view on what does it mean to be a Christian? And it says, it, it means that from all eternity, from 10 billion years ago and beyond, there was a target on your back and God was launching mercy in your direction and said, I'm going to have you. I'm going to have you. you you're going to be mine. You are going to be in my family. You are going to be with me forever as someone that I love. We, we, we need to know that because there are, there are times in life that are confusing. They're confusing because of the circumstances we're in. They're confusing because of how we're reacting and responding and stuff's coming out of us that I just didn't realize I'd feel that way. I didn't realize that would make me angry. I didn't realize I would actually say those words to that person. And, and there's going to be guilt there. But we, we, we need something that is settling. And what God tells his people is, you are mine. You have always been mine. And, and I will finish, I will finish what I've begun in you. And that's a reason for confidence. The, the, the gospel is God running to us while we are still a long way off. Remember First John Chapter 4 
says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that word propitiation, it just means sacrifice, what our sin required in order to be brought back to him. He, he, his love starts up the conversation and it translates into sending his son and spending something. He spends him for us. And that's the, the next two things that get highlighted here. There's, there's an extravagance and a costliness to this. Right? Second, the, the father's love is over the top. Look at verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And, you know, living in 2018, we, we call to mind some images from like the Hallmark Channel or whatever Netflix version of that there is. Y'all got any like uh, favorite new, you know, just released to Netflix Christmas movies you're planning to watch this December? I heard about, what was it, the, the Christmas Prince? That was one that kind of just came out, right? But you, you, you got, this is a scene that, you know, it, it, just, it just shows up. There's music playing in the background. There's some kind of little cheesy reuniting. And that, we just, we're just used to seeing that kind of thing happen in films. This would have been shocking to Jesus' audience. The, 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 you know, I mentioned this before. Jesus intentionally loads up his stories with shock value to get our attention. Because People in, in, in Middle Eastern culture, even today, but especially back then, you know, the, the, the patriarch of the family, kind of the, the godfather of the, of the family, uh, he didn't run for anything. He had people that he would send while he sat down and they would take care of what he needed. It, it, it kind of, you, you picture it, it would, it would require him to kind of lift up the edges of his robe and kind of dance like a little girl lifting up her dress, right, in order to run to, out to his son. But, but, but that, that is not on his mind. That is the least of his concern. He, he throws off all of the social customs. He's not focused on himself or how he looks. He breaks through all the barriers that stand in the way. He, he is unrestrained in his love for his son. And he is determined to do everything that is required to have him back. And God's, God's love is like this. It is over the top. It is, it's wild. Now, wouldn't you be careful with that? Because that's not all it is. It's, it's holy. It's perfect. God is sovereign. God does everything for his glory. Those are some other things that the Bible teaches us about God's love. And so you know, there's a song that I, I, I appreciated. I appreciate the heart behind it. But you guys know Reckless Love uh, from, from, from Bethel. I, I, think, I, I think it's a great song. Um, and it's actually been written out of Luke 15. But that word, you know, if you, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means careless. It means kind of you're not, you're not having any forethought. You don't really foresee what the consequences are going to happen of this. God knew exactly what he was doing when he determined to love us. But there is something here that is unpredictable. I think that's what that song is trying to communicate. Look at what John says, 1 John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. 
You can hear it in John's voice. See this. Do you see it? Because he, 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 he's, he's pressing past this just being, being something that we think about every once in a while. He says, no, do, do you really see the reality of this? Listen, there, there are so many distractions in your life and in your world. And I, I've shared with you before, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard even in these moments. It's hard when you're, you're coming and you're giving your attention in the middle of the week to a Wednesday youth meeting. I'm so glad you do that to see these things. But John is saying, stop and stare. You realize what God has done. Put your phone away and stop and stare and be affected. It's a, it's a lavishing love. It's a prodigal love. He has spent everything. And he says, we are. It's like he, he can't just finish the sentence before amazement sets in. We are these things. He can't contain it. Can you? Is it easy for you to keep quiet about what God has done? All right, third thing, the Father's love is costly. Verse 22, But the Father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I was hearing somebody tell a story today about a wedding reception that they went to and they, they described it as every expense was spared. It had like saltine crackers and apple juice as, as the refreshments. Uh, this is not that kind of party. This is the kind of party you want to be at. Right? There is major FOMO in reaction to not being at this event. Uh, he, he, he is throwing a party like you've never seen before. He kills the fattened calf for his son. And, and this is not like, you know, show up at Rouse's and, 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 and go to the meat department and, and buy what's there. This, this is his wealth. This was, this was one of your most prized possessions. This was saved for the most significant days of your life and the life of the family. And it, it doesn't seem to matter how much this son has already cost him. He spends more. He's just a lavish spender. He spends it all. And our father has spent his most prized possession for us. Right? You guys know John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he gave him over to die. He, he exhausted his resources in saving us. And, and, and in this story, the father takes what's most costly to him, what's most valuable to him, and he, he kills it. And that's what God has done. He's taken the son whom he has loved and sent him to die for us. Have you, have you considered how costly it is for you to be a Christian? You and I are here 
And, and if we're redeemed, everything about our lives has been purchased with the greatest price. The worship we just experienced. Jesus spent his life to allow us to do that. If we know anything of God's goodness, if, if, we, if we know what it's like to receive mercy, if we know what it's like to live with his favor, Jesus was spent in order for us to have this. And so Paul draws an implication from that in Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things because if he's given Jesus, he has given everything. The question is, do we still feel like that, that younger son? It's not been enough. I mean, all the things that I've, I've preached up until now are not enough to settle you, to convince you that you really have what you need. Or like that older son who feels like I've not gotten what I deserve. People have not treated me the way that I deserve. My, my parents are they're just there to, to make life a total killjoy. And so we, we manipulate people. We, we fight and we strive for things in secrecy that we feel like we need. There, there is an awareness here that Paul communicates that God has given everything to us. And that's what the father tells his son, right? You are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But if, if, if there's fear, if there's jealousy, if there's gossip, if, if I'm trying to use my words to share dirt on somebody that I, I think that's going to gain me some kind of advantage, it's nice currency to spend and purchase in terms of kind of social power, and I feel like there are things that I, I, I need to work hard to get for me because I haven't been dealt the right hand in life. Let me even the playing field. Let me cause you to kind of be lowered in other people's view about you so I can raise up a little bit. Where's all that coming from? It's coming from the same heart that these sons struggled with. All right, fourth thought from the father's love is that it is joyful. He said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. His joy just it overflows, it pulls them into the, the experience that he has. And, and, and that's a great word, celebration. Uh, we, we use that word around here as a church. I hope you pay attention to that. We, we, we call Sunday morning, when we get together, that's our Sunday celebration. When we do a baptism service like we just did this, this past Sunday, we call that a baptism celebration. And we, we do that in part because of this chapter Jesus says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. There is joy. There is cause for celebration. And this is ultimately reflecting God's heart, his attitude, what he calls us into. Zechariah 3.17, 
The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Notice those two adjectives there. There's something quiet and there's something loud. And, and, And this should be part of our Christian experience. This is what it looks like to worship God. There, there are times when we get quiet. We turn down the volume of everything else in our life and say, God, I'm listening to you. I need, I need assurance from you because I'm afraid. And, and I, I, can't, I can't find any news item. I can't find any notification that's going to rescue me out of this. And trust me, if, if what you do, every time you're feeling that, is, you, is you, try to, you try to drown out that feeling with just more digital noise, that's just going to multiply your anxiety because you're always going to find another reason to stress out of this. He's saying here, God, let, let God quiet you with his love. Be, be still. Listen to him. And he says, and he rejoices over you with loud singing. When, when we're singing to God, God is not a bystander. He's not there kind of arms folded back just waiting for us to bring the right kind of worship to him. In all of his holiness, in all of his perfection, he participates in the joy of worship. Because he knows you, you are designed for praise. We, we praise the stuff that excites us. We praise the stuff that uh, we want other people to experience. You've you got to taste this. this. This is the best food I've ever had. Right? You've you got to see this. You got, did you watch that movie? You know, we, we, we announce these things to other people because that's ultimately our, our excitement and our joy in them spilling over and spilling out. And, and that's why worship exists. It's, it's, it's God's joy spilling over. And inviting us in, welcoming us to, to find the fulfillment that our soul longs for in, in him. This is an education. And, and, and Jesus told this story because people in front of him needed to be educated. What should it look like when you respond to good news? Because they were complaining and they were grumbling. It was the religious professionals of the day and they were finding reason on Jesus. He welcomes those people. And he says, you, you, this is totally inappropriate for this scene. Because this is, a, this is a cause of joy. Good news has been announced. I'm, I'm helped by my, my friend, Nick Missios. I was hoping, Amaris is here. Ava's not here though, huh? Uh, you know what I'm about to, sh- about to show Amarissa? Could you guess? She's already, she's already covering her face right here. When he was on Wheel of Fortune, it, it just gets better, right? So you have, you have shock and awe. There's the stunned look that he's just won $30,000 on top of the, all the other points he's already racked up. Uh, if I had a video of this that I could track down, I'd show you because I don't know how he dislocates his elbows to put them in this position, but he does this weird like arm behind the back flailing move uh, after that, and then... Right there, there's the money shot right there, literally. Uh, he, he, is, he is excited, right? Um, there, there, there should be an effect 
in us. And, and can, can I say this pastorally to you guys? You, you don't look like that when we sing. And not that you know, we have to look like Nick Missios every time. But what, what, I, what I observe is there's a lot of you being inside of you. And I, I hope you paid attention on Sunday because there's a, there's a freedom of God, pull me out of me, pull my attention, lock my gaze onto you, and then there's something that's worth rejoicing in. And I'm not just so caught up in people's opinions and feeling like there's a thousand eyes on me in this moment, that I'm not going not gonna to risk looking like I super care about this. This father of all people raced down the road and lifted up his road and didn't care who was watching because there was something to rejoice in. And that's what God pulls us in. All right, quickly, there's another character in this story who isn't named He's not in the story, really. But he's somebody that we need to take notice of. And Jesus wants us to see him. And, and in fact, it's, it's almost like his absence, you know, you know those uh, police crime scenes. I don't know if police actually do this. I've never been to a crime scene where you have kind of the outline of the body out of chalk or tape, and you know, someone was here, um, right? You kind of have that happening in this, in this story. There, there's... There's the outline of somebody who's missing, who was really needed and didn't appear. And that is the true elder brother, older brother. Um, you know, you, you have the first two parables in this chapter. There's something lost, and then someone goes out to find it. So you have the lost sheep. Sheep wanders off. Shepherd leaves the 99, goes and gets him throws it on, on its shoulders and, and uh, brings him back to the fold. The parable of the lost coin, a uh, lady uh, sweeps her house, turns over everything. Uh, this is kind of like what we do desperately now to try to even find cash because does it even exist anywhere in my house? Uh, if, I, if I found a quarter somewhere, I'd probably be that excited as well. Uh, but she, she finds the coin, she calls up her friends and says, look what I've discovered. And then in this story, there's someone who's lost, but nobody goes out to find him. Who should have searched for what was lost in this story? Who do you think? That older brother. All the energy he had. He's the guy who was bragging about how he's worked out in the, the field all these years. He should have gone off to find him and bring him back and... and you know, Jesus has written the Pharisees into his parable. He, you know, he, they're grumbling, and he, he writes them as the older brother, upset and complaining while doing nothing to actually fix the situation. And he, he tells them in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, you're supposed to be the leaders of God's people, but rather than making it easy for them to come to God, you put barriers in their way. You want to keep them away because they're a, they're a threat to the reputation that you've developed for yourself. But you know, as, the, as the writer of this tale, he wants, he wants us to look beyond what's right here and find, find what it's pointing to. Timothy Keller makes this point. He says, by putting a flawed elder brother in the story, 
Jesus is inviting us to imagine and yearn for a true one. And of course, that's Jesus himself. He's the one that we needed. Remember, the younger brother comes back into the family at the older brother's expense because the father had sold off stuff, divided the inheritance, you know, gave two-thirds to the older brother, a third to his younger son. He went off and spent all of that. And so for him to come back and have any share in the family is, is going to come at the expense. It's going to come at a, a cost to the older brother, which is part of the reason why he's, he's so upset that you're, you're killing that fattened calf. That was supposed to be mine, right? I had claimed that. That's my future. That's my power. That's my wealth that you are getting rid of over this worthless person. That's what's in his heart. And yet that could not be further from the heart of Jesus. Jesus came, he tells us later on in the Gospel of Luke, to seek and save the lost. He, he's that shepherd that went after the 99. And, and, and here's, here's how he goes after his sheep. John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. His property, his wealth, his well-being, his very life lays it down to recover what is lost. Um, that, that's a, a theme we appreciate in good stories and books and, and movies. You know, an uh, older sibling kind of standing in the place of a younger one. Uh, what am I thinking of right now? I volunteer as tribute. Katniss Everdeen, right? That, that's in that story. It just, it, and it shows up again and again because there's, I think there's something that God's written into the human heart. And that's here in what Jesus is telling as well. And this is how the Bible describes Jesus. Did you know he's your brother? Hebrews 2, verse 10, it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, don't pass up that quickly, the whole universe is his, it belongs to him, and, and the reason why it exists, there, there, there is a, there's a little trademark inside of every single molecule that says, for the glory of the Son of God. He owns it all, and it's all proclaiming his worth. It was fitting that that person, bringing many sons of glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering, for he who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. That's Christmas. Every respect. Jesus taking on our humanity, coming from a far country, coming into our world, entering our space, drawing close, being born in a place where there were animals. You know, th th this younger son comes, eventually finds himself in a pigsty. That's what Jesus enters. He, he enters the pigsty of our sin, our broken humanity, he lives every single stage of life for us. 
And he brings us all the way home at the expense of his own life. Timothy Keller says, think of the kind of brother we need. We need one who does not just go to the next country to find us, but who will come all the way from heaven to earth. We need one who is willing to pay not just a finite amount of money, but at the infinite cost of his own life to bring us into God's family, for our debt is so much greater. Either as elder brothers or as younger brothers, we've rebelled against the Father. We deserve alienation, isolation, rejection. That's like teenage hell right there, right? I'm all alone and I'm rejected by everybody else. And the Bible says, you know that's actually what you deserve? But it's not what God has given you? The point of the parable is that forgiveness always involves a price. Someone has to pay. There's no way for the younger brother to return to the family unless the older brother bore the cost himself. Our true elder brother paid our debt on the cross in our place. There Jesus was stripped naked of his robe and dignity so that we could be clothed with the dignity and standing we don't deserve. On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we could be brought into God's family freely by grace. There Jesus drank the cup of eternal justice so that we might have the cup of the Father's joy. There was no other way for the Heavenly Father to bring us in except at the expense of our true elder brother. Now, you might be thinking, all right, I know that. <laughs> where's, where's the punchline? This isn't new. But honestly, there's a lot you think you know that you don't know. There's a lot that you, you think you've seen that. You, you think you know the outline and the shape of it that, that isn't affecting you in the way that God's intended it to. And so we retreat back into our older and younger brother ways and try to live life on our terms. And we can sing these songs and be in these settings and feel like that, that didn't really benefit. That didn't really fix what I feel like I need. Well, there is an invitation here. It's what the Father brings to his sons. Come in. Come to my home. Come into my joy. Return, finding me to be enough. I, I'm, I'm always yours. My son, my daughter, all, all that I have is yours. Can you, can you hear him saying that to your soul? And we sang that earlier, I, I, I am who you say I am. And so I don't need to be caught up in comparison. I don't need to be fighting to be noticed or making sure no one notices <laughs> and hiding and retreating because I, I am who he says I am. Whatever whatever I have a tendency to be anxious about, whatever's coming up next week, we don't tend to stare too far into our future and worry about that. It's kind of just like, okay, I've got exams or this person really hates me right now or I'm going to really be in trouble. And we try to 
mentally manage all of that? This father says, all that I have is yours. There is peace. There is the assurance that you, you, you belong in this household. I've, I've got that. I've taken care of it. I've already purchased it. I've already provided everything that you need in life. When I'm convinced of God's love, I'm willing to make sacrifices that aren't comfortable now. I'm willing to do things that are hard and that are difficult and just kind of the, the next step of what obedience requires and I know it's going to be worth it because I have everything in him. My parents ask me to obey them in ways I'm not excited about. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be an epic battle because I know my God and I know he loves me and I know what he's called me to do. If I'm convinced of God's love, I'm freed from looking down the road, waiting for a chance to break free, waiting for the next opportunity of pleasure or thrill to arrive. I'm freed from always trying to earn acceptance, earn approval, making sure that all the eyes that are on me are concluding that I'm either a good person, if that's what matters to me, or I'm a cool person, if that's what matters to me. Whatever it is, I can be at rest because I've been brought all the way home. Like these are just some categories to, that, that God says, take this into your heart. See, see what kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God and we are. If our trust is in him, we are. That was determined 10 billion years ago and beyond and God raced all of the way to grab you for himself. And as we walk with him by faith, he will bring us all the way home. God, thank you. Lord, our, our words, our retelling of not just a parable, but the story of eternity. <laughs> we do not do this justice. Lord, would you, would you take us further, further up, further in to good news, to the great joy that you have intended it to, to be. Lord, when the angels broke on the scene, the arrival of Jesus, it was, it was glad tidings of great joy. I, I pray in particular for that, God, for, for a, a joy to interrupt our complaining, to interrupt our discontent, to interrupt our, our bickering, our, our conflict, our gossip, to, to interrupt, Lord, our, our patterns of distance from you. Lord, this, this, even just this Christmas season, break in with the joy that our brother has come for us and our father has brought us home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I'll send out a sign-up list about the potluck for next Friday night. So if y'all could, parents in particular, pay attention to, to that. Um, Saturday night at the Canela's house for the girls, uh, 7 o'clock. Claire, do you want to say something? <laughs>